0: This is Philosophy Bites with me, David Edmonds. And me, Nigel Warburton. Philosophy Bites is unfunded. Please help us to keep it going by subscribing or donating at www.philosophybites.com or you can become a patron at Patreon. How we deal with immigration is a major problem of our time. But what are the philosophical issues at stake here? Is this simply a question of human rights or is there more going on? This is obviously a contentious area. But David Miller thinks he has some of the answers. David Miller, welcome to Philosophy Bites. Hello, and I'm very happy to be rebitten, as it were. The topic we're talking about today is immigration and border controls. Can you just lay out what the general legal position is with countries and their right to set border controls?
1: Yes, well at the moment we live essentially under a regime of state sovereignty where states are regarded as having wide and largely unrestricted authority to control their borders and to decide who to admit as immigrants. There's one, I suppose, large exception to that, which is the right to claim asylum, which means that states are required to respond to asylum seekers to assess their claims and decide whether the asylum seeker has indeed a claim to come and stay in the country.
0: That's the position. Are there any arguments against it?
1: Yes, I think in philosophical discussion of immigration and borders, many people actually challenge the status quo and argue that borders should be, in principle, fully open and in practice as open as is consistent with, for example, maintaining basic social order. And there are a number of arguments to defend that view. One, for example, a rather old argument, goes back as far as Grotius, appeals to the idea that human beings own the world in common And therefore, they always retain the residual right to move across the surface of the earth and establish themselves on any part of it.
0: That seems like quite a good argument. I live in London, but I don't own every piece of earth in London or every brick. Why shouldn't other people have access to that space?
1: Well, I think it's conceded in this tradition that the situation changes when states acquire legitimate territorial rights in different parts of the earth. The original right doesn't vanish entirely, but it becomes more constrained, and in effect it becomes a right to seek a place of safety when you're under some kind of threat, and in some treatments a right to occupy land that's lying waste. You find that in Grotius, for example, in Kant, it's more constricted still. It turns into a right to visit, a right to be treated with hospitality, but very clearly in Kant, not a right to settle permanently unless you have the permission of the inhabitants of that place. So I think that it's very hard to argue that common ownership itself can give you an unlimited right to immigrate, where that's understood so as to include a right to immigrate permanently become a resident and then a citizen of the place you've moved to.
0: So even people like Kant and Grotius didn't think there was a complete unrestricted right to go anywhere you wanted to go?
1: That's right. They both recognise that states can come to possess territorial rights, This then allows them to determine who are going to be the permanent inhabitants of the territory even though others will have these residual rights to visit on a short-term basis or a right of refuge in case they're, for example, shipwrecked or fleeing from a military conflict or something of that kind.
0: That's the first objection to the right of states to close their borders. Are there any others? There are indeed. And another one that's popular with some
1: philosophers who think of themselves as global egalitarians is that equality of opportunity can't be achieved at global level unless people are free to move between countries. And that's for the obvious reason that opportunities are discrete, they're different in different places. And so if you're going to have genuine equality of opportunity, you must have also the right to move to places where you can avail yourself of those opportunities, and that means crossing borders.
0: Again, that seems like a sensible objection. We often think that the government in the place that we live in has an obligation to give me the same equality of opportunity as my fellow citizen, so why shouldn't it also have an obligation to give somebody just across the border the same equality of opportunity?
1: The answer is that the equality of opportunity is a principle that applies to the relationship between a government and the set of individuals, primarily the citizens, that it's set up to serve. And provided that it creates equality of opportunity among those citizens, that is the limit of its obligation in that respect. Somebody living in another society will have equality claims against the government of his or her own society. But there's no cross-society obligation of equality of that kind. There are obligations that apply globally, but they're not egalitarian in kind. They're of a different sort.
0: So it's only if there were a world government, say, would we all have the right to equal opportunity with everybody else in the world?
1: Yeah, that's precisely right. If you had a single world authority responsible for treating everybody, then there would be equality requirements on that government, including equality of opportunity requirements, indeed.
0: Some people might say, well, it's a human right for me to emigrate to another country, therefore a right for me, for other countries to open their borders to me if I want to go and live there.
1: Well, that argument starts from a valid premise that there is a right to freedom of movement, But then what it has to show is that the human right to free movement is going to be so broad and extensive that it's going to include a right to cross borders. Now I think to assess that we have to make some initial assumptions about human rights themselves, how extensive they are. My own view is that a human right has to belong to a set of rights that are essential protections for basic human needs. And that explains why free movement qualifies as a human right because some degree of free movement is going to be essential for human beings to satisfy their basic needs, needs for companionship, association, for work, so on and so forth. But I don't think you can build out from that. You'd have to show that for people in general, their basic needs can't be met unless they're able to travel freely across borders. And that seems to me is a quite implausible position to hold.
0: So one might have the right to move, I don't know, across the other side of the town or to a different village. And I need that to satisfy some basic human needs. But you can't extend that to the right to move to other countries. That isn't a need for me.
1: That's correct. Of course, there are going to be people who, for particular reasons, won't be able to satisfy their basic needs without movement and that's because their circumstances are so desperate that it's impossible for them to meet their needs by staying where they are. So there's going to be a class of people for whom a right to immigrate is going to be essential but of course that doesn't show that the right to immigrate is a human right as such because human rights are rights that people in general can claim as essential to meeting their needs And for most people worldwide, it's quite feasible to live a decent human life, having your needs satisfied while remaining within the contours of your own society and
0: state. Might it depend on how big the country is? Presumably... If Oxford declared independence and became a state in itself, and so we had a state that was only a few miles in circumference, to fulfil your human needs, you might need to go across borders. That's perfectly true. Of course,
1: we do recognise the human right of exit. People do have always the right to leave their societies and to try to enter other societies. In that sort of case, what would be necessary would be the ability to get out of Oxford and get somewhere bigger but you wouldn't necessarily have to enter every society in order to achieve that.
0: So we've discussed and rejected a number of arguments for why borders should be completely open. Does that mean nations should be able to reject everybody who wants to come in? Well
1: the right to close borders does come with some limitations on how it's exercised. The basis for this is that Human beings everywhere are entitled to be treated with respect and dignity and one aspect of that is that if they are going to be denied a benefit then it has to be possible to explain to them the basis on which that benefit is being refused. In other words, reasons have to be given to people as to why what would otherwise be a benefit is not going to be made available to them. So if you're going to close the borders, you also have to have an immigration policy that selects people on a basis that can be rationally defended. And that can then be presented to people who are not going to be admitted under it.
0: And what counts as a rational explanation there? If I say my country is already overcrowded, or if I say we only want white people in this country because we want society to be cohesive, what counts as a reasonable Objection to opening borders?
1: There's not going to be an easy general answer to that question because it's going to depend upon the other policy goals of the society, which is why we should expect different societies to have very different immigration policies. I mean, the broad general answer is that the reasons given for the immigration policy that a society has must tie in in some comprehensible way with the general policy aims of the society. So population size, one of the things you've mentioned, is a good example here, I think. So there are going to be some societies whose objective actually is to increase population, to make them more productive, to cultivate uncultivated lands and so on and so forth. That's the traditional view of societies of immigration in North America and elsewhere. Other societies are going to have a much more restrictive view. They're going to want to preserve certain cultural features or maybe they feel they already have enough people and so they're going to take a more restrictive view it's going to depend on the broader aims of the society as determined ideally through some kind of democratic decision making which sets these objectives
0: but race was one of the criteria i suggested for choosing who comes in that surely can't be rationalized I think
1: you have to do a bit of footwork to explain why exclusion on the basis of race is not one of the permitted policies. Essentially, you have to take on the task of showing that race does not, in fact, correlate with any defensible policy aim that a society might have. If you look back at the justifications that used to be given for racially selective immigration policies, what you actually find is that the arguments appeal to something else allegedly correlated with race and once you show that those arguments have no foundation then I think the case for racial selection simply collapses.
0: What about somebody who wants to come into a country for economic reasons and they think they can earn more in another country than they can at home that sounds like a legitimate reason for moving what right do we have to reject them?
1: Well, we must have a defensible policy and, of course, employment policy is going to be one feature of that. I think have to clarify that I am somebody who believes that states owe special responsibilities to their own citizens and so they're entitled to give some kind of preference to the welfare, including the economic welfare of people already in the society. So somebody who wants to enter for economic reasons... It must be possible to evaluate that claim against the claim of people already in the society. So if somebody can come in and say, look, I've got a contribution to make, I'm going to be able to make your own people, your own workforce more productive by my contribution, that's going to be a good reason for admitting them. If they're simply going to come in and displace an Indigenous person from a job, that's not going to be a reason that's going to be acceptable.
0: So we have the right to decide who comes in and who doesn't come in for economic reasons. We can accept the doctor if we think that's going to improve our health service but reject the bricky if we think we've already got enough bricklayers. What about political refugees? People who have desperately need to come into our country, otherwise their lives are under threat. Can we just turn them away as well? No, we we have very clear
1: obligations towards people who are claiming asylum. Our first obligation is precisely not to turn them away directly, but to assess seriously the nature of their claim to determine whether it's a valid claim or not. Now, if it is a valid claim, they become our responsibility and we have to ensure that they're put somewhere where their human rights are secure. This need not always be in our own society. It's going to depend on the circumstances And it can be justifiable to have a policy in relation to refugees that includes some element of transfer and burden sharing.
0: So if one country is overrun with refugees from another country because the other country is just across the border and is in a state of civil war, the country where they all run to has an obligation to process them and so on, but doesn't have an obligation to keep them all? It has the right to share the burden out amongst different sovereign states.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Indeed, the actual burden of processing, which can be quite costly, also needs to be shared so that the international community ought to be offering support to states that are in this position. But then when it comes to, as it were, housing the refugees over a longer period or a shorter period, or maybe even admitting them indefinitely, then we need to be developing schemes for moving people around.
0: Sketch out what that would look like. You would like it to be formalised so that each country agree to take a certain number of people in, depending upon what the size of its GDP. It's going to be
1: complicated because, of course, refugees themselves may be in different situations. So there are going to be some who are in the short term fleeing from civil wars or other kinds of conflict or maybe from natural disasters of one kind or another. And the need there is to provide short-term support probably quite close to the place that they're coming from. There are going to be other cases where more like the traditional long-standing notion of a refugee is somebody suffering from political persecution where it's going to be clear that they can't go back into the society they're coming from. And there, I think it's going to be more appropriate to admit them to the Western liberal states. And there, there should be burden sharing among that group. Whereas in the first case, the need is rather more for large scale support for regional countries with large refugee settlement issues.
0: You've drawn a rather stark distinction between. A refugee and an economic migrant. But sometimes it's not very clear cut, is it? Because if a state has been destroyed by civil war, and everything around you lies in rubble, it's not clear whether when you decide that you need to leave, you're deciding that you need to leave on economic or political grounds.
1: Yeah, that's also absolutely right. The original concept of a refugee, I think, was Developed in the post war period and the Cold War period, the notion of a refugee was a political dissident, maybe somebody coming from one of the Eastern Bloc countries. Now, most of those who we would think of as refugees are actually escaping from social breakdown, civil war, economic collapse, and so on. This, I think, doesn't mean that the distinction vanishes. It would be morally very problematic to equate the demand of you know, a rich German wanting to move to the US and the demand of a desperate Somalian wanting to move, let's say, to Turkey or Tunisia. These are quite different cases. So we do need to make distinctions. But I think we do need to have a broader notion of what a refugee is. And I think for me the crucial question is, is it possible to protect that person's human rights in the country of origin? And in making that judgment, we also have to make a judgment about what it would take to allow for human rights to be protected there. Because we don't want to say, for example, that in cases where, say, an earthquake, a tsunami occurs and people temporarily are not able to have their human rights, we don't want to say those people are refugees. So there must be built in some notion of the amount of time that it would take to rebuild or reconstruct the society.
0: This is a fascinating subject from an intellectual point of view and you've clearly thought very deeply about it over a number of years. Are you keen that your ideas actually enter into a public policy discussion?
1: Yes, I think it's very important in this sort of area that philosophical thought about these matters should actually penetrate into public discussion, which is often carried on in... A rather narrow way, for example, immigration is often discussed merely in terms of the economics of immigration or in some cases maybe just in terms of human rights. And I think a a more rounded, a more inclusive, a more philosophically informed debate would actually be a huge benefit. So I hope very much that what I write about this subject will actually filter into the political debate and be taken up by policymakers and advocates and so on, connected with the immigration issue.
0: David Miller, thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a
0: pleasure. For more Philosophy Bites, go to www.philosophybites.com. You can also find details there of Philosophy Bites books and how to support us. We now have two more podcasts. Nigel has one on philosophers and places they're associated with, www.philosophysites.com, and I have a podcast devoted specifically to moral and political philosophy www.philosophy247.org